Okay, we'll go for your Bibles then. And uh, but what 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 we're going to do is kind of ask what seems to be a a simple question, <laughs> and and see that the unfolding of the answer is really quite quite fascinating. And the question is, who killed Jesus? You know, who yeah. who killed him? And on one level, it's very straightforward. On another level, it's kind of really fascinating. And uh, so, so in order to start answering it, go to Acts. And we're going to build up various layers here. And in Acts, and we're just going to look at the, the, that, the very first preaching after Pentecost that, that, that Peter did. And um, just read a, a part of it. So this is Acts chapter 2. And then in verse 22, Peter's evangelizing them. And he says, men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, mm. wonders and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. So there's a pretty clear answer. Uh, straight, straight out of scripture. The Jews, according to Peter, the Jews put Jesus to death. And if you go over to... Um, Let's see, Stephen, Acts 7, well actually there's, there's a bit before that actually because there's, um, hang on, in chapter 4, yeah we'll, we'll, we'll do this one first, and this is when Peter and John end up before the Sanhedrin, you know the, the ruling body of the Jews and, and are told not to, um, not to have anything to you know, not to keep evangelising. And, um, and in verse 8 it says, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, <coughs> Rulers and elders of the people, <coughs> If we have been called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple, and are asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. So again, <coughs> very clearly, you have Peter saying, Israel, the Jews, crucified Jesus. And if you go over to Acts 7, and then this is uh, Stephen... And uh, Stephen was the, the first believer to be put to death, to become a martyr. And uh, there's most of Acts 7 is quite a long kind of teaching that he gives to the people <laughs> before they stone him to death. And uh, But the bit we want is <clears throat> uh, in verse 51. And this is how he sums up everything he was saying to the crowd. And <clears throat> he says, you stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts and ears, 
you are just like your fathers. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your fathers did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. So again, here we have Stephen making it absolutely clear that Israel was responsible for murdering Jesus. And then in verse 54, they heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him and, and they, they killed him. They were so angry. And, you know, it's just interesting to note that, 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 that there's no messing here with evangelism. The, the, the whole point of their message uh, you know, here specifically to the Jews, but all evangelism biblically has its, its aim not only to, to, to show people that Jesus has come to save, but to show people that they're sinners and need saving. So all, all evangelism is designed to convict of sin. Because after all, what's the point of saying, hey, Jesus saves, if, if you haven't clarified what he saves from? He saves us from the judgment coming on us because of our sins uh, God commands all men everywhere to repent and so you know here you've got the fact that Israel killed Jesus now if you go to the end of towards the end of Matthew's gospel <clears throat> and we'll see what Jesus said about this because obviously Jesus was perfectly aware of what was going to happen to him and remember throughout his ministry he kept saying to the Jews that they were going to kill him and he knew that they wanted to murder him and of course it's because of this rejection of Jesus knowing that he was their Messiah because remember Jesus proved he was a Messiah not just by fulfilling all the Old Testament prophecies and remember um, I mean, you know, sort of like in Daniel, there's a prophecy that dated the birth of Messiah. And in, um, is it Nahum? Can't remember. There's another prophecy that says where Messiah was going to be born. <coughs> so the situation you've got is that Jesus was actually born in the right place at the right time. And, and thereby demonstrated that he was the only person in history who ever arranged his own birth. And it was proof to them that he was the Messiah. But he also proved that he was the Messiah by fulfilling all their unbiblical teachings that they had, you know, about miracles. And, you know, they had the whole category of miracles that only Messiah could perform. And Jesus came along and he performed those miracles. So the whole point was <clears throat> Israel rejected Jesus knowing that he was their Messiah and for that reason Israel has been under God's judgment ever since and uh, now let's start reading from Matthew 20 uh, Matthew 23 and um, from verse 29 <coughs> and he says woe to you teachers of the law and Pharisees you hypocrites you build tombs for the prophets and decorate the graves of the righteous. And you say, if we'd lived in the days of our forefathers, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. So you testify against yourselves that you are the descendants of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of the sin of your forefathers. 
was Jesus' way of saying, keep consistent, now go ahead and kill me. He says, you snakes, you brood of vipers, how will you escape being condemned to hell? Or that should be a either Hades or Gehenna, but we, we won't go into that now. Therefore, I am sending you prophets and wise men and teachers. Some of them you will kill and crucify, others you will flog in your synagogues and pursue from town to town. So Jesus is predicting here that the Jews were going to continue persecuting the disciples and the new Christians after Jesus had been raised from the dead. <clears throat> he says, and so upon you will come all the righteous blood that has been shed on earth from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. I tell you the truth, all this will come upon this generation. Now, what's interesting about that <clears throat> is that Jesus is saying that because they were going to reject him, that that sin was so serious that it was the equivalent of all the murders that happened throughout the Old Testament period. And the point about the blood of Abel, remember Abel was the first person ever murdered, you know, Adam and Eve's son, and one of their other sons, Cain, murdered him, all right? So that's the first murder in the Bible. Now, this thing about when Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, was murdered by the Jews, that's in 2 Chronicles. And what's interesting is that the, the, the arrangement that, that the Christian church has of the Bible, our Old Testament is exactly the same as the Jewish Old Testament. All the books are there, just the same, but in a different order. And in the Jewish Bible, and i.e. in the Old Testament as the Jews had it then, 2 Chronicles was the last book in their Bible. So Abel was killed in Genesis, the first book. Zechariah was killed in 2 Chronicles, the last book. And in effect, what Jesus is saying here is that they were going to be held accountable for all the murders from Genesis to Revelation as it were. You see, the whole thing from A to Z. Such was the crime that they were going to commit, crucifying him, murdering him, even though they knew that he was the Messiah. That the judgment of the whole of the Old Testament murders of the righteous people was going to be held, was going to come upon that generation. And of course, remember that what happened was in AD 70, just as Jesus said would happen, Jerusalem was destroyed and Israel went back into captivity. And literally, it was only in 1948 that they started to get going back in the land. So Israel is under God's judgment and in fact has been replaced by the church. Now, in the future, that's going to change. Israel will be regathered, and one day Israel will acknowledge that they crucified their Messiah. And, you know, and, and most of the people in Jerusalem, most of the Jews in Jerusalem, are going to become believers in Jesus. But for the time being, they're under God's judgment, and it is that ongoing judgment that is eventually going to so break the Jewish people that they will realise and believe that Jesus is their Messiah. And so here is Jesus confirming that just as they murdered all the prophets throughout the Old Testament, 
in the same way that they were going to go on <coughs> and murder him. And so therefore we, we, we have a clear answer to the question, who killed Jesus? And the answer is, well, unbelieving Israel killed Jesus. The generation of Jews alive when Jesus was on earth. And that's a clear answer, but there's more to come. Because however clear that is, for instance, it's also clear that it wasn't the Jews who nailed Jesus to the cross and actually performed the murder. So if you go back to Acts and the first passage we went to, Acts chapter 2, Peter speaking, <clears throat> and in verse 23, he says, And you, I the Jews, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. So who were the wicked men who did that? Well, it was Rome. It was the Romans. And of course the situation that Israel was in at the time is they were occupied by the Roman army. So they were a Roman province. Now the way that the Romans worked is they didn't annihilate the countries they invaded. What they would do was allow a certain autonomy so that, you know, the Jews, like any other nation that uh, the Romans invaded, they were free, they had a certain political freedom, a certain religious freedom, but there were certain absolutes that they had to obey in regards to the Romans. So they had to pay their taxes. They had to obey Roman laws, and some of the Roman laws meant that they couldn't obey their own laws. And one of the, uh, the things that the Romans did with any nation um, that they invaded and subdued was that that nation didn't have the right of capital punishment. So only the Romans could put someone to death in any of the countries that they were controlling. So obviously, according to the Old Testament, <coughs> Israel as a nation had the right of capital punishment, as indeed any government should rightly have. But that had been taken from them by the Romans. And so therefore the Jews, all they wanted to do was stone Jesus. That, that would have been, that was what the Old Testament said you do to people deserving of death. Not that Jesus was. But they weren't free to do that. And had they done it, then they'd have been even more oppressed by Rome and would have lost what little freedom they had. So although they desperately wanted to do that, they knew that they couldn't do it. They wouldn't be able to get away with it. And so basically what happened was, is that the Jewish authorities conspired with the Romans. And so they came up with these trumped up charges against Jesus with the sole purpose of getting the Romans to actually put Jesus to death. And if you go to the uh, end of Matthew's Gospel, <clears throat> and uh, Matthew... 27 and of course what happened was that Jesus ultimately ended up in front of Pilate now 
He also ended up in Herod, who was Israel in front of Herod, who was Israel's king at the time. But ultimately, he ended up before Pilate because Pilate was the Roman procurator. He was the legal controller as a Roman of the the province in which Israel fell uh, in the uh, the Roman um, Empire. <clears throat> and so, basically, Pilate is confronted by Jesus with all the charges put to him. And basically, what Pilate said, he, he examined Jesus, he questioned him, uh, sent him to Pilate to try and palm him off onto someone else's um, you know, hands, but Herod couldn't do anything, so Pilate ended up having to be the one who ultimately um, controlled what happened to Jesus. And of course, he tried very hard to, to, to have to not have Jesus put to death because he was perfectly aware Jesus was no threat to Rome Jesus was no threat to anyone at all politically in that sense and Pilate was perfectly aware that uh, you know that the the priests and the Jewish leaders were doing this because they were jealous of Jesus he was aware that they were stitching him up all right and so, on the one hand, he didn't want Jesus to be put to death because he, know that Jesus, he knew that Jesus hadn't done anything wrong. But on the other hand, he couldn't afford to have too much unrest amongst the Jews under his rulership because that would have gone badly for him in Rome and he might have been replaced and lost his job or, or, or something. And so what, what he did, there was a custom that was, you know, kind of like agreed between Rome and the Jews, that, um, that, <clears throat> that at Passover, the, the Jews could have any prisoner, any Jewish prisoner who was condemned to death, released. So it was kind of an amnesty. And on this particular occasion, the only two Jews who were up to be killed by the Romans were Jesus and a guy called um, Barabbas. Now, Barabbas was, I mean, he was virtually a terrorist and, and he caused a lot of, you know, he was a murderer, he was a political activist against Rome. Pilate would have been well glad to get rid of him, but had no reason to want to kill Jesus. So what he did is that he threw it over to, to the crowd, to the Jews, and said, well, who shall I release? And he was fully expecting that they'd say Jesus. It didn't occur to him for one moment that the Jews would say, give us Barabbas, give us a murderer, give us someone who's nothing but trouble. But that's exactly what the crowd did. The crowd said, no, give us Barabbas. And there's another example of the truth that the Jews killed Jesus. Because all they had to do was say Barabbas and Jesus would have been free. So again, we've seen the Jews, they stitched, stitched Jesus up. They're wanting the Romans to kill Jesus for them. Here they have a chance to save him. They refuse to do it and they instead go for a murderer. And so therefore, again, it comes back onto Pilate's plate. He tried to palm Jesus off onto Herod. That didn't work. Now he tries to use the amnesty thing and that hasn't worked. So what's Pilate going to do now? He's got an innocent man in front of him and people are wanting this innocent man and Pilate knew the charges were trumped up 
they wanted this innocent man to be killed. And so what did Pilate do? Well, putting his own position before justice, he reluctantly, but nevertheless, he handed Jesus over to be crucified. So here we've got another answer to the question, who killed Jesus? We've seen that the New Testament clearly says that Israel murdered Jesus. But of course, it wasn't the Jews who nailed him to the cross physically and directly causing his death. And so therefore, the situation we've got now is that uh, Pilate, a Roman procurator, gives the order for Jesus's torture and death because the flogging, the you know, that's basically what it was. And so that's a, a Roman mouth that, as it were, gives the order and then Roman soldiers do the rest. And so Jesus ends <coughs> up on the cross inevitably it's going to be that he dies and so you know we we, we now have a, a second answer to, to the question who killed Jesus well the answer is the Romans killed Jesus so we got two answers so far Israel killed Jesus and the Gentiles killed Jesus all right the Romans who were Gentiles okay well but there's yet another answer here if we're asking who killed Jesus. If you go to Isaiah 53, and this is where we start being surprised at the answers that the Bible gives us. And in Isaiah 53, we read... Well, let's let let's start at the beginning. All, all right, <clears throat> because one of the great prophecies of the Old Testament clearly fulfilled by Jesus. At verse one, who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows yet we considered him stricken by God smitten by him and afflicted but he was pierced for our transgressions he was crushed for our iniquities the punishment that brought us peace was upon him and by his wounds we are healed we all like sheep have gone astray each of us has turned to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, as a sheep before her shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And who can speak of his descendants? For he was cut off from the land of the living, 
for the transgression of my people he was stricken. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Clearly, the death of Jesus was the fulfilment of this prophecy. But now listen to this. And we're asking the question, who killed Jesus? Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. Now notice that. It was the Lord's will to crush him. Now, it's speaking here of Jesus as the one being crushed. So Lord here is not Jesus. It's the Father. Who killed Jesus? God did. The Father did. Go back to Acts. And Peter's teaching on the day of Pentecost. We read this earlier. Verse 23. <clears throat> this man, i.e. Jesus, was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. Now we've seen the Jews handed Jesus over to be killed by the Romans. <coughs> so what does that tell us? The Jews murdered Jesus. Rome, the Romans killed Jesus. Now it says that God handed him over to the Romans. God killed Jesus. The Father killed Jesus. Isn't that incredible? Such was his love for us that he killed his own son for us. Do you remember the story with Abraham and Isaac? And the way that Abraham, I mean Isaac, just his beloved son. And you remember that when Isaac was a young lad, that, that, that God prepared this altar. He, he had Abraham prepare this altar. And, and, and Abraham knew that he was going to have to make a sacrifice. He didn't know what the sacrifice was. And then eventually God said, right, okay, it's, it's going to be Isaac. You're going to kill your own son. And, and such, such was Abraham's faith. And his faith was this. That if God wanted him to kill Isaac. Then he would do so on the assumption that God would immediately raise Isaac back from the dead. Can you see what I mean? So he, he'd kill his son in obedience to God. But God would immediately raise Isaac back from the dead and he'd be there again. Can you see what I mean? A bit like one of these Star Trek episodes. Do you know what I mean? You know, one of them gets killed. But then they come up with a bit of alien technology that brings you back to life. That's, that's yeah. how Abraham was reckoning. That, that was the faith he had. And God commends him for it. But then obviously at the last minute... God says, no, don't do it. And he showed him where there was a, a lamb caught in a thicket and he said, kill that. So it was a test. God never intended Abraham to kill Isaac. But the point was, it was a picture of what God the Father was going to do with his son. And in fact, when you, when you do your geography, when you work out where that altar was that Abraham made, in order to sacrifice his son, albeit he didn't have to in the end. When you do the geography, do you know where that was? It was the same place where Jesus was crucified. 
because it was a picture that one day the father was going to kill his own son just as he had asked Abraham to kill his and here we're seeing it happening now why did the father kill Jesus because only the death of Jesus could ever provide salvation for sinners so isn't that incredible we can't imagine the love that the father has for the son but neither can we imagine the love he has for us in that he was willing to kill Jesus in order that we could be saved and be in his family and so we have another amazing answer to the question now we've said who killed Jesus well the, the Jews killed him no surprise there okay the Romans killed him no surprise there but now God killed him that's incredible that's surprising now it's obvious when when you think of it yes it's what the Bible says from beginning to end but isn't it an incredible thought that God the Father killed Jesus so that we could be saved but we're still not done because there's another answer to this question who killed Jesus and this is the most stunning answer of all because I'm going to tell you no one killed Jesus because he committed suicide go to John go to John John's Gospel and chapter 10 and this is that wonderful passage that I read from the other day at Bethany's baptism um, this wonderful passage of Jesus being the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep now let's go from verse 4 well, no, go from verse 11 I am the good shepherd the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep the hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep so when he sees the wolf coming he abandons the sheep and runs away then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it the man runs away because he's a hired hand and cares nothing from the sheep for the sheep but I am the good shepherd I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen so they're talking about that salvation was always meant to be wider than Israel the Jews rather thought it was just for them but what Jesus is referring to here is obviously that the gospel will go out to the Gentiles as well they are the other sheep that he refers to here I must bring them also they too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd the reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again no one takes it from me but I lay it down of my own accord I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again this command I received from my father now go to Luke to see 
what actually happened on the cross. Luke. Luke 23. Now, verse 44. It was now about the sixth hour. This is whilst Jesus is on the cross. And darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour. The sun stopped shining. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Now, Paul says that when Jesus was on the cross, he actually became sin. Paul says, he who knew no sin became sin so that we in him might be made the righteousness of God. So this is the transaction. Jesus became our sinfulness. So that when we believe in him, he would impute to us his righteousness. So our sinfulness was laid on him. His righteousness is laid on us because we believe. That's why we're justified. Justified, never sinned. Because God credits to us the righteousness of Jesus, having credited to Jesus our sinfulness. So Jesus became sin and you'll remember when John the Baptist introduced Jesus just before he baptized him he said behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world so Jesus was going to die to deal with sin to take sin away and clearly from this passage between the sixth and the ninth hour three hours of darkness because God wouldn't let anyone look on his son whilst he was becoming sin. Now this was the real terror for Jesus of the cross. It wasn't the pain and the physical suffering. I mean that was terrible beyond words. But what was the most terrible sin is that when Jesus for this three hours when he becomes sin in order to deal with it and take it away and atone for it and suffer in our place for it. During that three hours, Jesus was separated from the Father and the Holy Spirit. For the first time ever, I mean you can't say ever, ever's a time word, mm -hmm. Jesus and the Father and the Holy Spirit were in eternity but now for the first time in eternity they're separated and the father and the holy spirit turn their face away from jesus because they could not look upon him as he became sin jesus is rejected by the father and by the holy spirit this was the terror of the cross for Jesus why he prayed Lord not my will not you know Lord if you can take this cup away from me do but not my will but yours be done and he was sweating blood which which is an actual medical condition I can't remember the name now but it's 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 when someone's heart is pumping so intensely that the blood vessels in the forehead actually burst 
and you you literally sweat blood. That's that was the the pressure that that Jesus was under. And when in one of the other gospels it tells us that one of the things that he said on the cross was and it was quoting a psalm, but it was my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And that wasn't just poetry. It wasn't, you know, the repetitical tautology when you say something twice for literary effect. It wasn't tautology. It was literal. My God, Father, my God, Holy Spirit, why have you forsaken me? Mm. It's a declaration from the second person of the Trinity that the first and third persons of the Trinity have forsaken him. That was the terror of Jesus regarding the cross. But remember, we saw too that Jesus said it was completely in his control when he died and when he was raised again from the dead. And the point is that Jesus knew the exact moment when the sin of the world was now paid for. He knew when he'd finished what he was doing. And what's incredible is that the moment he finished suffering for the sins of the world, he said, it is finished. Now, in the Greek, the, 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 the value of the Dead Sea Scrolls, all right, you know, the much publicised find, like last century, well, it wasn't that it provided us with, 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 with scripture that we didn't have. We had all the scripture anyway. And it, there were manuscripts which just showed us how accurate the manuscripts we already had were. But the main value of the Dead Sea Scrolls is, is, is that they were scrolls from every area of life. There were legal documents. Um, you know, there were political documents. There were shopping lists. The, the point was, these scrolls, they weren't just copies of the Bible, the Old Testament, although some of them were, but they were scrolls that were just the writings of everyday, what was called common Greek, Koine Greek. And what they enabled the scholars to do was to massively increase our understanding of the Greek in which the New Testament was written that it opened up vistas of understanding there hadn't been before. Now, the Greek word in Luke's, uh, you know, in the gospel where it says that Jesus said, it is finished, all right, it became clear from the Dead Sea Scrolls that one of the usages of that word, it was sort of like if, if you'd done your shopping or if you had to settle a bill, when you'd paid your bill, the vendor would, 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 would sign paid in full. It means fully paid up. And that's the Greek word here. When Jesus said it is finished, what he was also saying was paid in full. Our sins were paid for lock, stock and barrel at that moment because his death is of infinitely more worth than our sinfulness. Can you see the point? Because he was God become man, he could pay that debt. And it was paid in full. So Jesus knew the moment he had suffered for the very last sin. And then it says here, all right, 
Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Now, what, what has he said three hours earlier when he became sin, three hours earlier? It was, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? What does he say now? Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Now, you'll remember from the salvation series, death is when the spirit leaves the body. Remember, you are a living soul, but you have a spirit. And if your spirit leaves the body, the body is dead. Okay? You live on, but the body is dead. And so what happens now is that Jesus, knowing that he's finished suffering for the <coughs> sins of the world, do you know what he does? He says, finished, paid in full, okay, I'm done, I'm dead. And he gives his spirit back to the Father, which is something no one else is able to do. And at that moment, he died. And bang, he went down into paradise. He was utterly in control of the moment of his death. Because he didn't need to suffer one microsecond longer than necessary. Suffering is never there for its own sake. You only suffer if there's need to suffer. Anyone who just wants to suffer for no good reason, that's crazy. And God doesn't want to suffer for no good reason. And Jesus didn't want to suffer either any longer than he had to. And the moment he'd done it, the moment sin was paid for, that's it. He, breathed, he gave his spirit into the Father's hand. Well, he was dead. He laid his life down. And what was amazing is that the timing of Jesus being crucified was such that the next day was going to be a Sabbath. Now, the Romans would take the prisoners down so their bodies weren't on the cross over the Sabbath. All right. And that, that was just the courtesy they, they paid to the Jews. Now, it, 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 it normatively would take two or three days up to to die in being crucified and what killed you in crucifixion and this is why it was such a terrible death because you've been beaten to within an inch of your life first then you're nailed to the cross and what it does is that it kills you by slow asphyxiation you can breathe but not very much and it increases the suffering exponentially it's a barbaric way to kill people and it took days and what the Romans would do when people were being crucified if they wanted them to die quickly what they would do is they break the legs of the people being crucified because what happened obviously in, you, you can't help but fight for life now, even though your feet were nailed to the cross, as was your hands, it was pushing up on the feet that enabled you to breathe a little bit better. Now, when they broke your legs, you couldn't push yourself. You slumped and then you died very, very quickly because you couldn't breathe. So you suffocated quickly. So, it, it, you know, it was actually merciful, but they weren't doing it to be merciful. They were just doing it to get you dead because it suited them for you to die there and then and for them to not, you know, sort of leave it any longer. And, and so what was amazing is that when, when, when the centurion 
uh, you know, he, he was breaking, you know, he, he'd have broken the legs of the, the, the thieves either side. You remember Jesus was crucified between two thieves, one of whom got saved. Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. OK, so they'd have broken the legs of the unbelieving thief and, and he would have died pretty quickly and gone, gone to Hades, the place of the unbelieving dead. They'd have broken the thief's, the, the one who did believe, his legs. He would have died really quickly and he went down into paradise. And when they went to break Jesus' legs, they were amazed because he was still alive. Uh, sorry, they were amazed because he was dead. They, they'd never known anyone die that quickly on a cross, not having had their legs broken or been killed by something that the soldiers did. They hadn't done anything else. They just put Jesus on the cross. They hadn't done anything else. And, and now he was dead. And they were amazed. And of course that fulfilled the prophecy that not one of his bones were broken. Because his legs should have been broken. Because they wanted him to be dead before the Sabbath started. And they were amazed. Because the point was Jesus wasn't killed by the crucifixion. He laid his life down at the exact moment of his choosing because he was in control of the whole thing was this sinful men and women murdering him yes it was was this the devil and all the principalities and powers orchestrating a cosmic conspiracy against him yes it was but behind it all everyone was simply pawns doing God's predetermined will and absolutely Lord of the whole proceedings was the very person on the cross Jesus was in charge of absolutely every aspect of what was going on because it was the moment that he died that salvation was made available and that Satan and the principalities and powers were defeated once for all, full time. And so here we see the reason I say no one killed Jesus, <coughs> he committed suicide. Suicide is when you take your own life. That's exactly what Jesus did. But not by putting a gun to his head. He was nailed to the cross. There wasn't anything he could do physically that's not how he took his own life. He simply, being the Lord of life and death, said, okay, that's right, sin paid for, I'm done, boom. And there he was in paradise with all the believers who had died throughout the Old Testament period. So there's another amazing answer to the question, who killed Jesus? No one killed him. He committed suicide. No one took his life from it. He laid it down. And remember, he said in exactly the same way that he had the authority to lay it down, he had the authority to take it back again. So three days and three nights later, what does he do? Whoosh! Now he's resurrected because he was in charge of that as well. This whole thing was determined, decided by God before creation even happened. So, who killed Jesus? Well, the Jews killed Jesus. Who killed Jesus? The Romans, the Gentiles killed Jesus. Who killed Jesus? God the Father killed Jesus. Who killed Jesus? No one. He committed suicide. 
He laid down his own life. He gave up his life at the instant of his choosing. Nothing to do with anybody else. And I guess there is one more answer to this question. Really, it's the underlying thing, isn't it? Who killed Jesus? Well, I did, yes. And you did. And Andy did. And Vincey did. And we killed him. We are responsible for his death. Because why did he die? To save us from our sin. My sin put him to death. As surely as if I had nailed him to the cross, I put him there. And you put him there. So we killed Jesus. But he loved us so much that he was, the Bible says, for the joy that was set before him. The suffering was real. He did not, he couldn't conceive of how he was going to endure that suffering. That's clear from his prayer in the garden of Gethsemane when he's sweating drops of blood. But the Bible says he set his face like a flint and for the joy set before him. It was his delight to die for us. It was his joy. Because he loved us so much and he knew that that was what was going to get us in his family. And that was what was going to get us forgiven. So that he could forgive us and justify us and that we would never ever have to face his judgment. So who killed Jesus? Well, well we did. And he did it with joy. He, he did it with, you know, he just did it with such joy. Because that's how much he wanted to be able to forgive us and to have us in his family. So, who killed Jesus? Some rather straightforward answers and some rather surprising answers as well. But uh, what, what a wonderful picture it paints, doesn't it? 